Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe, and what a treat we have today. He is a New York Times best-selling author. He's hosting this week, according to when we're taping this show, the number one show on Fox. He has been fighting for the NWA Championship and got one of the greatest, most memorable characters in WWE history, and also Snoop Dogg's bodyguard, just to throw that in for good. He is Mr. Tyrus. Tyrus, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's such a great honor to be on with you guys. Uh, Mr. Briscoe, I cannot uh, thank you enough for uh, all the kind uh, words and, and stuff you gave me. And, of course, beatdowns uh, you gave me when, <laughs> in, uh, when I was in uh, Florida Championship Wrestling. Uh, and uh, Wes and I were very close, so it was always cool to be part of the Briscoe way. Well, well, thank you very much, Tyrus. You know, I'm glad I'm glad you brought up for the championship wrestling because a, a dear friend of of all of ours on on this podcast, uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty, Dusty, when when I came in one day, he said, "Man, we got this guy here." He said, "He said I love him to death. He reminds me of a young Virgil Ronald." And what a compliment he paid you. He 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 helped you out so much. I know both mentally and physically in the ring. He used to get me when you'd have a match. We go back in that in that production room back there where we had all the monitored from every angle. And he said, "All right, now that, that, let's break down everything. I don't want to know what he's doing good. I want to know what he's doing bad." In your opinion? Oh, and he so would American, and he would tell me. Yeah, and so American Dream, I'd watch him after your event. He would come, come here, George, and he'd take you back in there and and. He wasn't always the kindest of guy explaining to you the what you did wrong or but that that seemed to be your 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 kind of mode of, of getting better is getting that criticism and all that. But I'll tell you what, uh, Tyrus, take us back. Uh, John and I both read that you're a football player, and of course we're big football football uh marks here on, on this show here, and basically sports marks. So. but you had you had a career with it. Where was it? Nebraska Carney that that, that Yeah, I um uh, I uh, started at Antelope Valley Junior College, and um, I uh, was a blue chip All American out of there. And I had some, uh, I had about twenty Division One schools offer me a scholarship. But uh, at the time, I wasn't uh, wasn't able to afford to take the uh, ACTs and SATs. So uh, what I did was I just forged uh, 
scores on there but the way i did it was i didn't put <laughs> i didn't put like i aced it i found like just enough it was like you needed a seven i think it was a 700 i had a 745 like oh. you know i just put it just enough so no one looks who who forges the middle ground so uh, i had a scholarship i ended up accepting a scholarship to uh washington state and i was uh you know pretty excited going up there i wanted to get out of la i had an offer to go to uh usc and byu but byu had too many rules so, uh, uh, yeah. but I got found out, uh, because uh, a nice lady was trying to help me get a cultural scholarship and that's when it got found out. So, uh, I was looking at sitting out a year, uh, and I got a call from, uh, Scott Hoffman at, uh, university of Carney, Nebraska. Cause listen, we're an independent school. Uh, we're, we're one double a, we can, we play all kinds of places, but you can come in right now. You don't need your SAT. Uh, just, you know, the only thing we ask you is, you know, I understand why you did it, but uh, you're only as good as your word. So you don't break your word to us that you're going to work hard. And because, you know, you can be easily thought of as a liar and in football, if you can't be trusted by your coaches, you're not going to play. So uh, he gave me that opportunity and I came out for a visit and uh, it was, and I liked it. And I was like, man, and the thing, the cool thing about Nebraska is that they're all their schools share money. So Lincoln is the crown jewel of, of college football, at least at the time it was. So they had a state of the art facilities so UNK had the same facilities. So, and their thing was, Hey man, if you're good enough, the NFL will find you. So I was all in. And then to make it even better, I said, Hey, I got a couple buddies who were looking or played ball with, who were looking uh, for a chance to to walk on or trying. And they're like, yeah, why not? So I ended up my, uh, my left, my right tackle I played with, uh, he came over in the middle linebacker in the corner. So we had ABC had about five players ended up going to UNK and, uh, it was a great, uh, it was a great opportunity for me, and it got me off the streets. It got me away from the bad elements, because the the problem with being in LA is you're surrounded by everybody you grew up with, and uh, it's you just got to get away from it. And I was smart enough at that, that point to realize that if I didn't get out of there, I was going to end up like a lot of the, a lot of the guys in my neighborhood who were either in and out of jail or they got forty kids by the time they're twenty one, wow. no jobs. So it was great, and UNK was great because I learned a lot. Uh, it was too cold to mess around, so I had to go to class. Uh, <laughs> and that's what I was going to say. What a culture change. L.A., L.A., Los Angeles to Nebraska Kearney, which is, what, 100 miles from uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. So you're out in the middle of the prairie all uh, you, by yeah. yourself. And the weather out there, George, I got to say, is brutal cold. And it's hot in the summer. <laughs> and they tell you the summer cold in they, the winter. <laughs> yeah, and they, they tell you about the smell of money, <laughs> so, which is – miles and miles of cows and trains that uh, just thick up the air. You know, the one thing though, that I had to adjust to real quick is though, is the, the guys uh, that I played with my teammates, they worked harder than I worked in California. They were the first ones in the last ones. Leaving. Now I worked hard in LA, but I got a, at ABC, our coach worked as hard, but a lot of times I was able to use uh, my athleticism to get out of stuff. I was always the guy trying to find a way to get out of a drill and took a lot of prize in that. Whereas in, uh, Nebraska, they, they meat and potatoes, corn fed, and we work and fight. And uh, once I adapted or took on that responsibility and took pride in being a good student and, and took pride in being the last guy off the field, uh, my whole football world changed. And I was in uh, a really good position coming out um, to have opportunities to play at the next level. Uh, so it was uh, not just my education. I ended up getting my degree in uh, teaching. But uh, I learned a lot about uh, work ethic and, and dedication and stuff that you necessarily I didn't learn 
uh, coming from, uh, you know, a no dad situation. So I learned a lot about myself and, and I was held accountable, which was the most important thing. Accountability was everything. Like I skipped a class, coach Morris be waiting on my ass. And I mean, I was a senior. I was like, I skipped class. What does it matter? I'm not coming back next year, but he's like, you represent us. And, uh, I had an, uh, economics class at seven o'clock at night. And sometimes I'd be tired and be like, ah, I'll go. Nope. Next day I'd be running for three hours after practice. So, uh, I learned real, you know, those things kept me accountable. And to this day, uh, has a lot to do with my work ethic. What, I, what I don't know. It was during that time with uh, uh, the football in the Midwest and like Florida, you know, right, 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 right when you were in, in college and before that's when you had the three yards in the cloud of dust in Oklahoma and, and yeah. Nebraska and straight up. I mean, those guys just lined up beat and beat people up. Then the Florida schools came along and they had nothing but speed, but what a difference it was during that time. It was awesome to see the difference between say the Florida schools and Nebraska and Oklahoma and that three yards in cloud of dust. Yeah. I mean, that whole, that whole era was, it was across the board because uh, going to school at AVC, they brought in guys from Florida. So they either came from California, Florida, or Mississippi. So we would be clashing in, in a certain junior college, like us, Bakersfield, they were division school, basically uh, where you'd go to get your grades and get out. A lot of us played one year and we're looking to go out. And I was in a situation after my first year that I had scholarships, but uh, I ended up having to finish the year because I didn't have the SAT stuff. But uh, you learn a lot about speed and styles and personalities. Like California, we wore gold chains. Florida, they had gold teeth. So it was, uh, it, you know, and, and it was like little clicks. And summer was like, it was like gang fights on the football field. And then by the time uh, with the right coaching, the bad guy ended up being the coach. And we, uh, you, you pick up things, you know, you pick up styles. And I think about the toughest blocks I ever had. It was guys from Florida, but there was that my practices. So when I got to, then I get in Nebraska where guys don't take plays off. So he might only run a five, five, right. And he's slow, but he's coming every play. He's not taking, he's not playing for anybody in the crowd. He's not playing. He's not thinking about Sundays or is there a scout watching me? He's there playing for the pure love of the game. And uh, that, uh, that sometimes hard work sometimes can out, can outwork athleticism. So I was kind of that trying to put those two things together. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't always a great uh, relationship because you, when you're a good athlete, sometimes you can get some lazy habits. And and that's the one thing Nebraska just, it, it just wasn't tolerated. You're better than that guy, but I'll sit you if you're not, if I don't think you're working hard. So. Speaking of being a good athlete, and and you obviously were from from your football offers, but Nebraska Kearney had a, had a great athletic program. I mean, they're no, they were not only good in football, but their rushing team were national champions. That's the reason I'm familiar with Nebraska Kearney because I went out to scout a few guys. And they won like five or six consecutive national titles here here in the last decade or so. And they ended up dropping the program when when the money money started getting tight there. But did you ever walk by that ration room, that ration coach look at you and say, hey, man, come in here? Uh, I, it was against my will. Uh, if I was <laughs> – so what would happen is is they'd be like, hey, uh, what are you doing after football season? Now, the first time I was there, I was playing basketball. And uh, they were like, ah, I don't want you – you know, I'm worried about the knees and stuff. And uh, I, But basketball, I was having fun. They're like, no, you know what you're going to do? Uh, so you can stay in shape. You're going to just, you're going to go with the wrestling team a couple days a week. Yeah, yeah. Now I tried uh, wrestling in high school and wearing a trash bag in the summertime and running for what <laughs> yeah. seemed like forever. 
uh, and having a guy half my size make me look stupid, taking my leg out from underneath me. So I had all I wanted of from amateur wrestling, but uh, it was the great for offensive linemen. It was a great way uh, to stay in shape and get stronger in different ways uh, because there's no, I, the toughest sport. There's nothing. I, Kurt Angle is a guy who, Every time I rolled around with him, his energy never ran out, and it's because he was an amateur wrestler. Uh, there, that's the toughest sport there is. I don't care what you say, conditioning, training wise. There's nothing tougher than than wrestling. You you get and you know. Plus, it's the ultimate individual sport because it's only you out there. There's yeah. no help. There's no teammates. Even your only your coach can do so much. It's just about will. And uh, to this day, when there's an amateur re- uh, tournament on TV, I'll, I'm watching it. Because those are the guys that that really, really to me stand out for what it is to be an athlete. There's, there's a lot of a lot of great competition out there. You know, being being the athlete and 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 you know the love for uh, the the athletics that you had. When when did that spark come up? That hey, you know, I I see professional wrestling on TV. I I think I could do that. When did that love first spark with with the guitars? Now I must have called the powerhouse three hundred times. Uh, <laughs> And they never picked up. Uh, I got a lot of whoopings for uh, Colin trying to get uh, nine seven six the WWE and all yeah, that. Back then, it was a long the distance call too, right? It yes, was. it was, and it was, a, and it was a long distance ass whipping. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I stopped doing that. But uh, even in college, uh, during Christmas break, uh, on I was looking at wrestling schools, and uh, the, this character by the name of Ike the Crippler Shaw who had a school in Ontario, Canada. I spent my Christmas break up there because uh, he was like, oh, I can get you a, a WWE developmental deal. And I was like, what? Oh, he's like, yeah, man, look at your size, look at this, that, whatever. Yeah, come on up. So me and my buddy, uh, at the time, our, our tag team name was Neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> Original. <laughs> yeah, right. And and so we drove from Nebraska to Ontario, uh, Canada. We get there, and it was uh, – the training facility was above a bank, so they couldn't train during the day. They could only train at night. And uh, all the guys lived in, uh, poor bastards, they all lived in these makeshift stalls that were made in this small house. And Ike the Crippler Shaw had all these posters up, and he had run some shows, and he had a guy who was like the knockoff of the Warrior. Uh, he had a, And he had like pictures of, he had pictures, and I didn't know that you could get a picture with any wrestler. But he had all these pictures up on his wall and stuff. And so we're out there training. And uh, one day I said, so when do we, work, you know, how does it work for a tryout or what, what do we need to do? Uh, and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to set you up. So he made, he he basically cold called the, the office in Toronto. And uh, I drove with my buddy out to Toronto. I think it was Carl DeMarco. I think he was the guy. Carl DeMarco, yeah. Yeah, right. And I get there, JBL, you'll, you'll appreciate this. So I got my college letterman jacket on. I looked. Look like a wannabe varsity club member. And uh, <laughs> I get there and I'm standing in the room and I see the post. There's a life-size poster of uh, Shawn Michaels, life-size poster of The Rock, and a life-size poster of The Undertaker. Well, I'm looking The Undertaker one in life, so I'm feeling pretty good. And uh, the secretary, who I'll never forget, she had on an all-leather outfit. like, And I thought that was weird for a secretary. But she, when I came in and she was like, how can I help you? And I said, Oh, uh, my name is, uh, at the time, my wrestling nickname was G Rilla. I know genius. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, my name is George Murdoch and I'm, I'm here to speak with Carl DeMarco about a tryout. And she snickered like, 
And I was like, I didn't think I said anything funny. And then as I sat down, my friend was like, man, this is it. You've got this, man. You got this. But she's still giggling as she's calling, telling Carl that I'm here uh, for a, a thing. So he brings me in and it was real short. It was about three of the worst minutes of my life, basically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all my dreams, because I had went in the office thinking, you know, I'm going to be uh, walking that aisle in a matter of, you know, months if I, you know, train hard and stuff and and not knowing how much uh, of the work and stuff goes into it. You know, you're thinking it's kind of like boxing and, and other stuff. And he basically said, he's like, why do you want to get into wrestling? And I'm telling him I, I loved it and this, that, whatever. And he's like, well, you don't, you, you have a very boring look. I, I don't know. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay. It was like before Simon was cool on, a, on uh, the, the singing shows, I had called DeMarco and he was like, yeah, man, you just weird looking and you know, you got to work on your body. And, and I had a big jacket on. So I was like, Oh, you know, and he was like, ah, and, and you're sick. A... You're six foot seven, right? Or yeah, right six, uh, six, almost six, eight. I'm like an inch, uh -huh. a half an inch. I'm six, seven and a half, but uh, Carl, Carl yeah, DeMarco, you know, the talent scout. Yeah. Talent. yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he was like, look, man, uh, I'd try the Indies. Give me a call in about five years. And I went, I didn't ask to come here. I, I was invited. He's like, I don't have an appointment for you. And I said, well, Carl, uh, tomorrow. he's like, there's only one crippler and that ain't it. So, you know, thanks for your time, man. Uh, and he wouldn't even let me validate. So wow. uh, I went. <laughs> he wouldn't even let you validate your own part. No, no. What he, a dick as, move. Bruh, longest drive back. To, and this is from Nebraska uh, to Toronto, correct? Yeah, right. No, I drove wow. back to Ontario, packed our bag, and we drove back. And uh, so my wrestling opportunity was done, over. <laughs> Dreams shattered. I don't think I watched wrestling for six months. And uh, <laughs> I kept I kept replaying in my mind that secretary giggling. Because you know when you introduce yourself and a woman giggles, it's not a good thing. No, no, good. No, no, no. You know, something's up. You don't know why. I have that happen all the time. For yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not a giggle. It's like a, <clears throat> look at this guy. What is he doing? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I finished school and I chased football and uh, I had some I had some workouts with the Chargers and I didn't have any representation and I was kind of a knucklehead then and blaming the world for my problems. And then uh, I got an opportunity to play some uh, NIL football. And uh, there I was an all-star and all that stuff. And I started getting attention. I got an actual football agent who signed me and uh, was, had me move down to Louisville, Texas. And I was going to, Quincy Carter was going to, was uh, the quarterback, I think, but just been drafted for the Cowboys and the uh, offensive line coach had seen me at, in college and uh, he thought I had pretty good footwork and size and strength. So I was training in Louisville, Texas and, just got invited to camp and uh, went out to celebrate with my uh, friends. We went to the Times Square, uh, which was like a five club in one in Dallas. They had a country. See, all the pretty women were in the country western side. And then there was a the hip-hop side, a piano bar. But if you were smart, you'd go over to the country western side to get your date and then bring her over to the hip-hop side. <laughs> but because, uh, you know, my boot scoop boogie skills were lacking. But uh <laughs> I had this horrible pain in my side and I was doing some one-on-one -on -one drills and I had gotten a little physical uh, altercation with one of the guys. I think it was Leroy Glover. It gave me a shot and I thought he had, I was like, I know he didn't break my rib, but man, my side is killing me. And uh, I ended up sitting down and I was sweating and I couldn't stop hurting and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I remember for a guy who's like, Oh, for 500 at the club meeting women, 
this woman sits down and starts talking to me and all I could think was if please shut up like I can't I can't breathe I'm I'm dying I don't feel good and uh, I finally told my buddy hey man I'm gonna take a cab and get out of here I go back to the apartment I pass out my appendix ruptured and uh I didn't know about it and then my buddies get home and they taking me to emergency rooms and nobody knew what was going on and finally an old janitor lady said hey hey boy uh stand on one foot for me and i couldn't she's like here's the appendix rupture so, <laughs> oh, wow. so the nurse was like what they stuck some blue it ruptured luckily for me it had spread down and not up or i would have been a goner but uh i had to have emergency surgery and when they cut into me the nerve endings going into uh my leg were severed so i had no feeling from the top of my quad past my knee so i had a and i was in the hospital for about uh six weeks with all kinds of complications and stuff so when i got out uh you know i wanted to get right back to playing ball but uh, at that time the the cowboy opportunity had it was a non-football related injury so they had uh they had moved on and so i had to go uh, i was going to go to uh, charleston to play for the swamp foxes basically on one leg hiding that I had no feeling in my legs. So my drop step was terrible. Cause I just, <laughs> I kept falling backwards and I was strong enough to throw guys around, but I knew that I was, that I wasn't right. And uh, so I struggled a little bit and then uh, ended up going on to another team. And I started feeling a little better. And I played a game in um, at the Staples center, an arena football game at the Staples center. Uh, and uh, I had probably the best, I'm not a defensive guy. I'm an offensive lineman and I hated playing defense because you know, I think defensive guys are dumb. They just chase <laughs> their dogs. They just chase balls. There's no thinking. They just you know, whatever way the ball goes, they go. As lineman. a former offensive lineman, I agree with you that defensive players are all dumb. <laughs> yeah, we're scholars, man. We got to know what everybody does. Exactly. You know, and people. Yes, the, the salt of the earth. The country would be in a lot better shape if there was more linemen calling shots. I tell you that much. Which, by the way, off the record, have, did you see the story about Hooters? giving endorsement deals to I offensive linemen. Offensive linemen, yeah. <laughs> Just when I didn't think I couldn't love Hooters enough, they go and pull a stunt like that. Oh, man, I was so – I was tearing my eye about damn time. But, uh, you know, it just uh, – during the game, I got like three sacks, a scoop and score for a touchdown. I was having the game of my life, and then I hit the ground, and I just felt the, the, the pain. I was like, I'm done. Like, I, I'm never going to see Sunday again. Uh, I'm never going to see a grass field again. And it was the hardest decision I made. Uh, they offered me a contract uh, for the rest of the year. And I just said, I'm done, you know, and uh, I had to make my peace with that. And I started uh, teaching and, you know, trying to be a civilian, but it was brutal. Uh, the only thing was, uh, you know, teaching classes during the day, you don't make any money. So I, was, I had buddies who were bodyguarding and stuff. So I started bodyguarding, bouncing clubs. So I kind of had a little sport because throwing guys out of a club became my like, my sport, my passion, and I enjoyed it. And I always kind of, my football coaches said I never shut up. So, you know, talking trash to a guy when putting hands on him was kind of something that I was uh, was good at. And uh, lo and behold, one night, Tommy Dreamer shows up and uh, he watched me bounce two guys out of the club uh, like a suitcase making jokes. And he said, you need to do that on TV. <laughs> and I said, yeah, right. Been there, done that. Yeah. And I... <laughs> I don't have the look. And he was like, who the hell told you that? Look at you. Uh, uh, Colonel Marco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By, by the so, way. I Carl under the bus all day Hey, long. by the way. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I ran into him. I ran into him awesome. backstage one time. And, man, I was like. You remember just, me? Yeah. I gave him that. You know, I was the, the girlfriend he wouldn't date. But I, now I'm. Now uh, I'm Carl would date anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but it's 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 always good to be inspired, man. And uh, he, I can say this, he definitely inspired me. So, what was the club that Tommy came in on that you were bouncing at? Where, and where was it in L.A.? Uh, it was in the Valley Saddle Ranch Chop Shop, uh, right at Universal Studios. There was about uh, about two thousand people there, and uh, WrestleMania uh, Hollywood, WrestleMania twenty Hollywood was in was going on, and um, he had brought uh, Masters, Carlito, a couple people from Developmental, uh, the Sheik. Uh, that's where I met Big Viss for the first time, and uh, man, talk about a guy who just just lights up the room and is just the nicest guy in the world, and yeah. and uh, wouldn't let. Wouldn't let me give him anything for free because I, you know, I, I was a wrestling fan, and when I saw Tommy Dreamer standing in line, I was like, "Oh, not in my club." So uh, I came up and I gave them uh, VIP service. And Carlito and Masters were—they hadn't eaten all day, so I snuck them back in the kitchen and got them some food. And I was just happy that you know wrestling guys were there. I was excited about WrestleMania, and um, and uh, you know, uh, Tommy was, you know, started talking to me or whatever. And he was like, man, he's like, why are you not wrestling? And I said, man, you know what? You got a better, I got a better chance of hiring you to work at the club for me the rest of the night. And then Tommy said, deal. He goes, I'll tell you what, <laughs> you, you send me a couple pictures and a bio and I'll work the club the rest of the night. And he, <laughs> and he did like, he, he really did. And at one point he had saved the guy from me and, uh, he, Tommy carried him like a, like a, like he was a, carrying him out of a fire to his car while I was like, Tommy, give him to me, give him to me, but he, he wouldn't do it. And, uh, you know, Tommy dreamer, he offered me he said, Hey, do you want tickets, uh, to WrestleMania? And I was like, no, I watch it at my house. And I have a whole thing. Uh, we make, you know, we got steaks and stuff and barbecue. I said, but he's like, but I will take two tickets to the hall of fame. And I was, uh, I was excited to be at the hall of fame. Mr. Wonderful went in that year. I think cowboy, but all the, my favorite heels went in. Uh, I think I remember the iron Sheik. So it was it was great to be uh, to be at that Hall of Fame and really be inspired and and uh, you know and then next thing you know a few months went by I think it was like two or three months uh, and and uh, I get a call out of the blue from Tommy and I thought maybe he was coming back you know and he wanted me you know hook him up in the club or something and he's like hey uh, a couple of people saw your picture man uh, they want to bring you in for a tryout and I was like when tomorrow what, what I, he's like no no relax relax. And uh, he flew me out to McDonough, Georgia, and that's where I met Bill DeMont and John Laronitis and uh, the assassin. And uh, my only my only my only rule to myself was no matter what happens, don't finish last and don't quit. And Bill ran basically a football camp where it was just drills and drills trying to see. Try, and, and just like you talked about the top of the hour, uh, Dusty was brutally honest, but that's what I loved about him. That's why I always called him coach. Uh, he, I, I know what I do well. I'm, I'm arrogant like that, but the stuff I do bad, uh, I respected the fact that there was, there's a lot of BS in, in sports and entertainment guys tell you a good job when they know that, that you didn't. And I never had that. And Bill was the same way. And, uh, he was sitting there and I ran, he made me run the drill, the ring, cro ring cross, you know, crisscross on the ring. I think it was, it was supposed to be two minutes and he decided to change it to three. And I can remember if, as long as I keep pumping my arms, I'm good, but it was, you know, just don't stop. Like no matter how bad it gets and uh, got through the drill and earned the respect of the guys. Uh, I didn't know uh, wrist lock from wrist watch, but uh, my effort was there. And then I just remember sitting there and him and John are staring at me and Larry Nidus said, Hey, I tell you what, you lose 50 pounds. I'll sign you. 
And I was like, consider it done, boss. And, uh, you know, and uh, I ended up getting a, a contract at uh, Deep South. And uh, it was, uh, and I had to make some big decisions, man. I left uh, Bodyguarden. I had a great, I had a lot of great side hustles. I had a, I had a house in California, but the dream was bigger than, than uh, staying at home. So I took a risk and uh, it, it ended up, you know, it was a long road, but it ended up paying off. Mr. Briscoe, how many people have we had come on here that have a Tommy Dreamer story? A lot, man. And Tom, Tommy, I mean, that just shows you what kind of person Tommy is. Tommy, Tommy often gets looked for, uh, overlooked uh, for a lot of aspects of this business. But Tommy was like, Tommy had a great eye for talent. Tommy had yeah. a great eye for matches. And he, he's able to, to dissect matches. And, and he was a guy that just helped people. Tommy, yeah. you know, everybody, yeah. it's, come on, it's amazing. They go, oh, I was, yeah, I was in Cuba and I run into Tommy Dreamer. You know, everybody, everybody, yeah. Tommy Dreamer somewhere. It's he just won't... awful. There must be 12 Tommy Dreamers for right. as many people as he's run into. And he never takes credit for anything. That's right. He doesn't. That's right. He doesn't. Real self deprecating. Yeah, he will not. He'll be like, oh, well, anybody would have found you. I mean, <laughs> six, eight. I was like, there, you know, the cold part was I was, I had three other guys in my crew. One was 6'10, the other one was seven feet. The wow. other guy was like 6'9. And Tommy was like, yeah, they're, they're nice bodyguards, but you're different. You know, and, uh, you know, because those guys were like, well, well, maybe I can get a contract, you know, and uh, Tommy was he I thought, you know, maybe take us all throw us up against the wall and see which one sticks. But, uh, you know, he was like, nope, you're you're something about you. And then, of course, uh, uh, once I got with Dusty, uh, man, now, tell, I, us, tell us, tell us about that. Now, we close deep south down. But I want to get back to a coach there also. Uh, Larry Hamilton, the assassin, Jody. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, Larry, Joe. Oh, uh, yeah. Joe, Jody Hamilton. Uh, Larry was his brother, Missouri Mahler, but uh, uh, Jody, yeah. Jody, Jody, oh, Jody, man. Jody, Jody's really the one. So you and I go way back too, because Jody's philosophy was here. I, when I was a rookie, when I was starting in Oklahoma, I, uh, you know, I was just a rookie. I had nothing and uh, didn't know anything. But Jody said, "I want that kid there. I want the Leroy McGurk and." And and he had already gone through my brother, so I guess he wanted to go through me also. <laughs> but but he he took me in there and he taught me so much about psychology and about about how to transition moves and how to make those transitions smoother. And I'm sure he had that same same. Uh, his uh, his attention to detail. Um, one of the mistakes I used to make was I'd uh, reach my hand out. <laughs> going to get whipped and he would be like what the hell are you doing you just gonna give it to him uh he 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 would break everything down even if you threw a drop kick and landed on the wrong side he would let you know like he was a stickler for every little thing and he always had the most one of my favorite stories is he was talking about the assassins he was in uh this is back when you could when you could be creative and say things and uh <laughs> he was feuding with the JYD and he was in uh, New Orleans and JYD in the North New Orleans was, there was nothing like it. Forget the saints who that JYD was, I mean, the, the state stopped and uh, you know, and uh, he came out and he had a, he had a shirt that said, I think it said, thank God for sickle cell. <laughs> I mean, that place was yeah, again, time when you could actually be creative and everyone got that it was a damn show. But um he he sat there and he said he said uh, at the time he was like hey uh, G, the uh, the arena smelled like piss. Do you know why? And I was like I don't know bad toilets. He says because no one would leave their seats. That's how over we were. 
You know, some of the stuff you guys do is flatter than piss on a platter. He had an, an effect. What him and every one of his analogies always had something to do with pee. But <laughs> but uh, when he talked, man, everybody listened. And he was a heel before. I mean, he was a heel through and through. I mean, he even wore the mask whenever he was on TV. I don't think he ever was on TV without the mask on. And I always love that. And uh, he, my last, uh, the last pay per view. Uh, that I was, I was at, uh, at the chase, I came out and I had the, uh, assassin mask on my towel out of tribute to him when he had passed, but he was one, another one of those guys that would like, uh, cause it wasn't being an athlete and, and, and learning how to do the sport that we do. Uh, it's not an easy transition, uh, especially footwork and, and movement. You have to almost got to be able to play yourself. You have to be aggressive in reverse and whereas football forward, 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 Wrestling, you got to be able to be in reverse, and for a lot of a lot of ball players, that's a tough transition. They don't know how to slow down, and uh, you know, one of the things he used to tell me was, "Hey, if you think you're going too slow, go slower." And that's lived with me all of my life. <laughs> Blew my mind. Made no sense, you know. Uh, and one of the rules he had, like me and uh, Alpha Junior and Sonny Siaki and uh, Jack Swagger and Kofi Kingston, we weren't allowed to throw any punches in our match. So if you threw a punch, you're done. Like you, you're, you're not only after you take the ring down and load it up, you're going to be doing drills. <laughs> you know, your weekend's over. Cause you don't fall. And I remember I was in a match and something happened. I got a drop kick or something. And uh, I turned, I got him in the corner and I pulled back. And I mean, I just froze. Cause I was like, I can't let this punch go. Cause I know it's good. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with a punch and I'm like, please hit me. But Alpha <laughs> junior was like, no, cause he would have to chop me cause I was too close. So we just stood there in, in the <laughs> middle of the ring and I got a punch. Cause I know if I throw a punch, it's my ass. So I'm not doing it. So <laughs> I, you froze out there. And I was like, yeah, it was terrible, but at least you were thinking, you know, and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, they used to do that like the first three matches that time. Remember, Jerry, that the right. first three matches couldn't throw a punch? No, or kick. You couldn't kick or, or, or go outside the ring. Yeah, or go outside the ring, which is a great rule. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called building the card. Yeah, right, exactly. right. Yeah. Funny how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the hey, uh, one thing I saw, Tyrus. I've been watching uh, interviews about you all day, and uh, I, I got to tell you, I, I've I've really become a fan of yours with the way you handle adversity in your life from when you were younger and. Uh, you had problems with where you could live uh, to later when you got fired from WWE and you said, I'm not blaming anybody but myself. It's just, I thought it was really cool the way that you take uh, accountability uh, into measure. But I want to ask you first, because we can't keep you too long because you're a big shot uh, star now and you got hosting hey. the show tonight. Hey, I'm here you. with two legends now. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you, you got work to do tonight. We, we got nothing to do tonight. Uh, <laughs> you, you, were, you, you got to dance with Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> Literally dance with Dusty Rhodes. Tell, tell us the story. Okay, two, two things, okay, about Coach, uh, who I miss. And, and forgive me if I get emotional because uh, – he was probably the closest thing I ever knew. Like I, I, I had a great foster dad, but it was a short time in my life when I was younger. Dusty never talked to me about one thing in the ring. He always talked about life. He always told me, you are me. And when you go out there and you hear the crowd and smell the popcorn, if you don't know what to do, you've embarrassed me. So I didn't have a choice, but I had, uh, when I came back, to, cause I got let go and, uh, and, 
And Dusty was one of the guys who fought to bring me back. And when he brought me back, when I walked in JBL, I was a biscuit away from 500, literally. <laughs> okay, I had been on tour in the world with Snoop, and the man has the metabolism of a, of a, of a rabbit, and I do not. And so uh, I, when I stepped on the scale, Dr. Tom, when I left the WWE, I was about 335 pounds. When I stepped on the scale, it was 489. And he, he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he went, what you going to do? And I was like, I got to lose some weight. He's like, I'm not going to report your weight. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a month because if I report this weight, you're going home. That's and, awesome. uh, that was and, Dr. uh, that was Dr. Tom, right? Yeah. Dr. Tom. So the boss Vince decided that I need to wear trunks. It was not what I wanted to do. And, um, I was like, and it was red at that. So I was going to look like a big, tomato and i was not <laughs> i was not trying to do it the only thing i lied and said i couldn't find red material so i had black but i didn't want to wear trunks uh i was i had a lot of loose skin from coming down i was i got down to about 375 pounds and it was a quick it wasn't a slow it was like i was just wasn't eating and just wearing trash bags and cutting weight so i didn't look you know uh, i looked soft right and uh the trunks came order for the trunks came in and and I didn't want to do it. And I'm sitting in there and I honestly, man, I thought about just going home because I thought I was just going to be embarrassed and, uh, and I didn't want to do it. I'm sitting there in the bathroom and then I'm in the bathroom staring in the mirror, trying to figure out if I'm going to do this or not. And I hear everybody laughing and clapping. So I stick my head out the bathroom and here is the American dream in a pair of jeans with no shirt on. <laughs> and I looked at him and he says, Hey, I didn't want you to be alone, baby. Wow. And if I and if I can do it, you can do it. And I went in there and I put on those damn trunks and I came out and and Dr. Tom said it's not that bad. I said, hey, it's bad, <laughs> it's, it's bad. But hey, it's if he can do it, I can do it. And um, and that was just how our relationship was. Now I was training. I spent so much time with Arn Anderson and working on just being a nasty heel. And my goal was I I wanted Cena just like everybody else. I wanted to be there at the top guy. And uh, I came up with this House of Pain gimmick where I was keeping trophies and, and on, on uh, superstars, I was, you know, scaring fans and just being physical and nasty. And, and arm was like, be a, don't be a good big guy, be a good worker, period. Just who just happens to be big. So that was, that was my mantra. And uh, I made some jokes in the back because I had that charisma like dusty in the locker room. And so the boss heard it and he goes, Hey, I think this guy's a baby face. He's funny. So, and you know, as everyone knows how much Mr. McMahon loves to dance, uh yeah, you know oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. so oh yeah oh yeah he had me and ron dance one time too so <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> yeah but but when you're the apa you could get away with that who's gonna laugh <laughs> you know you guys were established two of the biggest badasses on the planet and uh so i went from uh vignettes and and all that and then when triple h came to me and he's like listen uh, i don't know how to tell you this because triple h doesn't like ruining dreams you know and he was one of the guys who was pushing me and he was helping me with character development and everything. And he took a lot of time and, and I was thankful for that. And the vignettes, uh, he was overseeing himself and uh, the vignettes were running. And when they told me this and he's like, I think you got to dance too. And I was like, again, <laughs> looking in the mirror, is this what I want to do? And uh, I said, I need to go back to dusty. And I showed up, he cleared out the whole building. I walk in there and he's standing there and he's like, what you going to do? And I'm like, I'm not dancing. Fuck. Excuse my language, but I was upset and I'm cussing. And he's like, Hey, you think I wanted to wear polka dots? I was the three-time NWA champ. I was the most popular wrestler in America. I'm the American dream, and he made me wear polka dots. You better than me? <laughs> I had to feed my family. You got to feed yours? I'm like, 
Yes, sir. And then he's like, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to dance. And I said, who's going to dance? And he had the, the sound guy hit the music, and he had Move Like Jagger come on. And I mean, just, just think about Dirty Dancing without Patrick Swayze and Baby. It's just... He's like, give me your hand. I'm like, don't touch. I'm not taking your hand. And and he's like dancing with me like you would dance with a child at a at a at a wedding or something, you know. And he's holding both my hands, and I'm getting mad, and I'm just. And then I, then I start laughing, and the next thing you know, we dancing around the whole building together and in the ring together. And he's like, what's the damn problem? And then uh, I was like, I, okay, boss, we I got this. And he's like, you got this. And he says, but your rhythm is terrible. So we got, <laughs> and I, said, I said, I can't dance to move like Jagger. I don't, you know, my music's different. He's like, that's my music. So uh, uh, we got to get, we started playing around and he says, you're going to need some help. And uh, you're, you're already paying for my sins. So I can't come with you. So uh, we went and we begged, we begged Naomi, uh, <laughs> who, was a, who was the greatest athlete in FCW. <laughs> to help me and be a Funkadactyl. And uh, she was doing something with uh, Ariana and the two of them decided to help me out. So I figured worst case scenario, they'd watch them dance and I could get by. So it was genius move on my part. And, uh, but yeah, man, he just, he would never allow me to sabotage me. And I think that's the biggest lesson. And that's why uh, accountability is so much easier to, to be accountable for your mistakes is so much easier to fix. Now, I could blame everybody, and I went through that. I, I was even one time, JBL, you made a joke on TV with me and Tenzai. Uh, I think you called us <laughs> Team team Future Endeavors, and I wanted to kill it. I was like, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. <laughs> uh, you know, and I was heated at Triple H. Why didn't you? Why didn't you? Say oh, stop it, Jerry. <laughs> he, and, uh, you know, and I was blaming, and I was mad because my Mania match got cut, and my attitude sucked, and I didn't – I just wasn't able to turn it around, and – I could have blamed everybody. I could have been to this day. I mean, like he said that, and then my career was over. No, my issue, when I got let go, I, I just looked in the mirror and I was like, did you do everything you needed to do? I should have been a lifer. There was no question. I could talk. I had to look. I could work. But my attitude was terrible. And when cuts came, you're going to keep a guy who's walking around miserable all the time. And so they didn't. And it was the best thing for me because then I was forced to put my money where my mouth was and uh, reinvent myself. And I look at it. Again, if I, I'm telling you right now to anybody who's listening, if I would have sat there and blamed everybody, if I would have blamed Triple H for not giving me a big enough push, if I would have blamed JBL for making fun of me on one SmackDown, if I would have blamed Tenzai for wanting to be a trainer, I could have blamed everybody there was. And guess what? I'd still be, you. we wouldn't be doing this interview. And I'd probably be showing up at a backstage at NXT asking for a dark match for like the 30th time. And they'll be like, no, man, uh, you know, you, if when you own it, you can fix it. You don't own it, you can't fix it. So, and uh, that's the probably the biggest lesson in life I learned from Dusty. He never he made jokes, but he never blamed anybody for any any of his circumstances. And I mean, uh, he would tell me stories that are our stories, but like he used to tell me like he's sitting out in his driveway because they put his chair out. <laughs> and he was waiting for Dick Murdoch to come pick him up, but he was defiantly sat in his chair <laughs> because he, he was like, she put me out, but I'm still gonna sit in my chair. So, you know, and those life lessons were probably than any any move. But even, you know, the only thing he did used to tell me, he used to text me a lot after one of my matches, especially when I came out as uh, Funkasaurus. And he said, when you get your check, 
you need to get it split because you owe me money. And <laughs> but he would always the only tell person me. I ever heard of that danced alone with Dusty in an empty arena. Well, no, well, well, probably. I think uh, only man probably, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. I just love that story that Dusty actually had yeah. it planned enough that he got you out there and had the music set up he, and everything. He did it, you know, and, and the cold part was um, he had a video of it too. He had it recorded. Wow. So he was like, I'll play this whenever I feel like it. And uh, So but, there, there was a video out there. You I, I have it. I have it in my possession yeah. and it's locked oh, away wow. in my <laughs> safekeeping. <laughs> and it's, I can't watch it without crying. So uh, because I, 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 he just, he passed right before, my last day in the WWE, and it's funny how life works. I went down to the to to the center in Orlando to roll around because uh, A-Rai, a good friend of mine, had texted me. He goes, hey, man, they really are trying to get you going. And I think they're going to redo some stuff with your character or whatever. And I said, I'm going to go roll around anyway. just because I hadn't been on the road in a couple of weeks and I didn't want to get uh, stale. So I go in there, and then once again, every, usually the – performance center every ring's bumping and rolling around and i called ahead of time and said i was coming in i come in there there's not a soul in the place it's just dusty and he's playing neil diamond because he loved him some neil diamond <laughs> and he's playing his music and i come in and i'm i'm rolling around and he comes walking in and he's like come here and i sit down and he he looks at me and he said he's we always we made a joke about the commandant that's what we would call cody and um and he's like, you don't need to worry about the commandant. I don't need you to watch, look out for the con. I need you to worry about you. And he said, I need you to figure out what your canvas is. You need to paint your own canvas. You need to make your destiny. Because the way you're going, you're in circles. There's no reason you shouldn't be on TV. There's no reason you shouldn't be in the main event. But you keep waiting for somebody to do it for you. No one's going to do it for you. You need to paint your own canvas. And I was like, yes, sir, coach. And he's like, do you understand what I'm saying? I said, kind of. He says, when you figure out what that means, you're going to be all right. And then he sat there and listened to Neil Diamond. And he told me some stories about whooping uh, uh, superstar Billy Graham's ass and not giving him nothing and making him beg, please stop. And because that was my favorite story, because I'm watching his matches back. I noticed that he didn't give superstar nothing. And uh, he even made him pin him in the bull rope match. He whooped him so bad. So. Uh, and then the next day I I've got the call. Heard that. Yep. Oh I yeah. Didn't, I didn't know that. Did watch back, that? watch back superstar Billy Graham and Dusty Rose bull rope match in Madison square garden. And look how bad he whoops him. Like he didn't give him nothing, uh, nothing, uh, their whole feud because he was coming up, uh, you know, do the favor, so to speak, but he was going, you're going to earn it. And, uh, he did Billy did. But, uh, the next day I was let go. And I think, uh, he knew it, but because he gave me just enough to prepare me, but he wouldn't blow the spot. You know, he wasn't going to tell me you're getting fired because I would have probably done, said something stupid. So, you know, and then when I was let go that day, um, all I could think about was I'm going to paint my canvas. And if he was here right now, I think he would, he would be very happy um, with what I painted. And uh, tonight, when I host, my entire monologue is about the, what the American dream is. So, um, sorry. Hey, man, I get the same way we're talking about the dream there. He, he was a guy that, that set us all apart, man. He, 
And speaking of superstar Billy Graham, him and Graham were like this too. I mean, they. they oh, were, you know he was because you only your friend, only your friend, you do like that. <laughs> that's right. That's that's exactly right. You know, it's like JB always tell us the first time he got in there with Taker, first time he popped him, he was like, "Do I owe you money?" <laughs> that's exactly what he said. <laughs> oh, great! I'm fired. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm but you, you turn you turned it around. You. You climbed the Mount uh, Kilimanjaro uh, in real life and in wrestling life. So, uh, but yeah. Hey, Tyrus, well, one thing I heard about, I know you've got to run here shortly. Uh, one thing I heard about was uh, Cena at uh, WrestleMania. And I never yep. heard that story. Yeah. I had either. John when shared I, that with me today. When I heard it, I just thought that's John Cena. I just, yep. I have the utmost respect and love for John Cena, but please tell the story. Cause this is amazing to me. So here's the thing. I train at hard knock South and, um, I'm still Rob uh, Cena opened up his training facility to, to the boys and I'm still a, a member of hard knock South. And, uh, but John and I were never, I would never say we're close. We had a respect. We made jokes. Um, I remember when the, the rock came in and I was team Cena and I was the guy who noticed that uh, he was reading the teleprompter. Cause you could see the reflection in his sunglasses when he was cutting promos on, on Cena. And I ran and told Cena. So when Cena hit him with a, Maybe you need to change your glasses, a helicopter, and a teleprompter. That was me. Oh, so, that's awesome. That's a good thing. So, uh, you know, but uh, so there was always a mutual respect there, but he's the top guy, and he doesn't have to do anything to anybody, and everyone always likes to blame him for their shortcomings in their career, which is, again, convenient. Uh, but here we go. It's WrestleMania, and I was already – I was supposed to originally wrestle Heath Slater, do the Mama Dance Heath Slater, and then that got cut because of time, and then um, – I'm sitting in Gorilla, and Vince is shaking. He said, "Now Vince has spent the day dancing with me. <laughs> we danced on the on the walkway and, and what a horrible dancer, Vince! Oh too, man, <laughs> hands down. He danced with he Dusty was, and Vince. The yeah, wife, put the that white on. man has no yeah. rhythm at all. Now, no, Dusty, no, he's a terrible Dusty, dancer. Dusty has yeah. rhythm, but uh, yeah, white Fred, man. Fred, hey, Fred Vince is, is not only a terrible dancer, but he will dance anywhere. He loves yeah. it. Oh, anywhere, he was feeling right? it." Yeah. He was feeling it, and I was just going, hey, if you would have told me when I was a kid that I'd be dancing with Vince McMahon at WrestleMania, I would have punched you in the mouth. Uh, but uh, getting ready to go out, and, and I, he, Vince shaking his head, and he goes, damn it, I don't think we're going to have to cut it because the match was going over. And I looked over, and I just was looking for a way out dignified, you know, because you try, you got to walk out cool. You know, you got to be cool, and I'm thinking – Oh man, I gotta find a way out of here. And I turn and look, Cena's looking dead at me, and he goes, Uh, hey, uh, Brodus, I gotta go to the bathroom. I think it's gonna take me like uh, I don't know, four, six minutes. I said, Yeah, about four minutes. He's all right, I'm out, and just walked out. And Vince looked at him and was like, Well, shit, go. <laughs> so so I go and I get my mania moment, uh, because he had to go to the bathroom for four to six minutes which ironically was the time of my dance. And again, we never spoke on it. I I wanted to thank him. He just, he wouldn't hear it. And uh, that was something that, that that's just who Cena was. He was, a, and he does that stuff all the time. Nobody who does that many make a wishes consistently is a bad person. I get it. The spirit of competition, our business, it's a team sport. Wrestling is a team sport, but there is individual achievement. And I get where guys, are bitter because they wanted his spot or whatever, but uh, I I just wanted to whoop his ass one time. So, and uh, <laughs> never say never. But um, he was that's just who he was. And again, I that's my greatest WrestleMania moment. 
my match the following year got cut. After that, I was in the Andre the Giant Cup, and uh, I think I got a shoot chop from Kali, knocked me off the apron. So, um, you know, as far as my WrestleMania career, which is not great, but in terms of all the great things I got to be a part of in the WWE, had it not been for Cena, I don't think I would have what you would say is a WrestleMania moment for a guy who's been was in the WWE for almost 10 years combined. So I'm uh, very thankful for that. But that's just who he is. That's and he'll never. And when I I talked about in the book, it got picked up and uh, and uh, you know he reached out to me and said, "Hey man, you're a class act." And I said, "Hey, don't don't mess it up now. <laughs> still don't change nothing. You still owe me a match for that little joke." Because he talked about my ass um, on Raw one night when I was in Impact, and I was like, "What the hell?" He uh he said he compared me to XFL. He says like the XFL and the Funkasaurus. It's a flash in the pan. And Big E and everybody texts me, and I was sitting on my chair at home going what the hell what I and then I looked at my Twitter feed and I got like 10,000 followers and I was like well talk about me again shit I'll yeah. take it no kidding so, yeah so and ironically the XFL came back Cena and uh and I'm the most most watched champion on the planet right now so take that so uh there you go well brothers before we go uh, tell us what you're doing now you work you're tell, you're, tell, you're, tell us about that belt you got there. That title well, I don't think I need to tell you very much about it, but this well, is the that, that's the reason that's the reason I want everybody else to know about yeah. it because I, I've been watching and you're you're with one of my dear friends that I had I I gave a lot of help to. I don't know if he even mentioned Austin Idol. He was oh, starving, yeah. he was starving to death in Tennessee. Yeah, I picked I heard I picked up the phone. I said, What can you be here in Charlotte? And he said, When do you want me? I said, How about tomorrow? So I called Jim Crockett Sr. I said, That's take care of the guy. So he was in there the next day working. <laughs> yeah. He's uh he's I'm part of Austin idol management incorporated, but uh, uh, you know, dusty started the world television championship at Mike Rotundo, Arn sting the list goes Nikita Koloff, the, the great television champion. And one of the things I loved about the television championship, it was always on TV. So right. you would always see those matches. So that was the championship. You saw a lot. A lot of times you had to pay for the pay-per-view to see the big ones. And not a lot of us could always afford that, but, when I one of the things in my career and, and JBL, you've done a, a magnificent job of that. Your time working with Fox in the financial district, you've always been wrestler first. You've always kept that on your platform, and I feel like it was my responsibility when I decided Billy Corgan and I just decided to let me be a part of NWA, and I challenged for that. I'm like, I'm that television championship is going wherever I go uh, on every platform I'm on because that is a message not to, to the guys who came before me. But the guys that come after me, that that wrestlers, wrestling matters. And if you look at pop culture and if you look at the world today, when you go to a movie, there's a wrestler in it. When you go, every time you look, there's a wrestler doing something because we are the greatest talented, most talented entertainer, sportsmen on the planet. So I wear this with pride. And I at first, Fox is like, can you not have the belt? Can you not? You wouldn't ask Muhammad Ali not to wear his championship. I'm the world television championship until so, so, till somebody takes it from me, and so I'm going to be wearing it. And um, it caught on. People respected it, and now the fans are invested, and we have people who haven't watched wrestling in 23 years. I remember that title. Oh, I'm going to watch NWA. So uh, for me, it's a tremendous uh, – it's a responsibility and a tremendous honor to be able to, to do that. And, again, like I said, and – Going into this Sunday, I got a chance to do something that no other television champion has ever done is have uh, 10 pounds of gold and the world television championship. So I'm excited because getting your name on that NWA list uh, to me uh, will be a career defining moment if I'm able to pull it off and being the first ever 
which is hard to do in wrestling now. Uh, so it means a lot to me. But the history of this championship, and this is the original. Like when I wow. they had their version, I said, no, 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 we're gonna get you some of this Fox money and get it right. We uh, even got the old CBS and the ABC. This is the same one that Dusty and Tully fought over. Uh, and it's the same weight. It's the same. This is the real deal. So, uh, so especially if the guy beats me, then I can send him a bill too. So, <laughs> <laughs> for Fox, of course. <laughs> yeah. And the NWA uh, title, you know, one of the most prestigious titles in the history of any sport, sports entertainment, anything. I mean, that that title was everything for so many decades in a row. You know, Harley Race, Rick Flair, Dusty. Yep, Briscoe. Yep. The Funks, uh, you know, so it's 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 synonymous with with our history. And again, once my name goes on that, I'm on that list forever. And uh, so that's what I'm Tyrus, excited how, about. How 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 do, how do our listeners get uh, get get there to watch that this weekend? Okay, right? so you can. Uh, it's going to be live. It's going to be at the Chase in St. Louis. Uh, right. There's still uh, a few his, tickets his left. Historic, historic places. Historic. You've been when, there. When I, when I was young, that was the only place. Uh, Madison Square Garden was just a place in new york but the chase was where wrestling was <laughs> and it is historic and uh everyone is treating it as such this is uh our biggest uh pay-per-view of the year and you can see it on fight tv you can just download the app you can watch it on all your smart stuff or you can uh, watch it on pay-per-view but uh, you get tickets at nwatickets.com but uh it's going to be a, a great event and uh we're getting close to that sellout mark so i'm excited and uh, so this Sunday, hopefully uh, I can talk to you guys in a couple of weeks or whenever I, that list slims down, I'll be sitting there with two belts and uh, a little, some more stories, but uh, Tyrus, two so belts. Two strap Tyrus. <laughs> two belt Tyrus. And, and, and right before we go, uh, the, the show you're hosting tonight, which we, this will air, we, we put this out a couple of days after you host, but please tell us about the show. that. So that Greg Gutfeld went on vacation. Gutfeld went on vacation and he had no choice but to give me the spot tonight. And I'm telling you right now, if you have ever been a wrestler, you're going to want to watch this monologue tonight because we get in our respect tonight. I'm holding court as we used to say in the locker room with America. So uh, uh, please, uh, if you get a chance, tune in, but uh, it's, I'm excited and it's the, uh, it's a big week for me. Now, I got now uh, this, is on, Gutfeld, this is on what? Fox, uh, Fox, Fox news. Yep. Fox Number one news comedy at, show in America. At, at, at Eastern time today, 11 o'clock. Yep. 11 so put the kids to bed and, and get ready for some, for some laughs. And then uh, I'm performing my first stand-up show in the wildly in uh, St. Louis, uh, Illinois area. And that sold out uh, in 32 hours. So I got that. And then of course, Saturday and Sunday, and I've been, man, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm, I'm coming into this match at 327 pounds. Uh, I'm ready to go. I mean, and uh, I've got my, I got my white dusty jacket. Uh, that he wore when he beat uh, Flair for the NWA title, and uh, the trunks are made, baby. So we go. <laughs> so uh, I'm excited. So it's it's a big night, and Trevor Murdoch's a great champion, and he's yeah. you know he was hard. He was Harley's pride and joy. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot, it's gonna get it's gonna get rough, and I call him friend when I'm not in the ring. So it's it's you know when you fight your friends, it's gonna be rough. Yeah, invest yeah. in potatoes. <laughs> exactly. Tyrus, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you guys, man. 
so proud of what all you've done. And after watching all the interviews about you today, getting ready for the show, I'm just blown away by how you've handled adversity in your life and accountability. It's just, it's just awesome to, to hear you and you, you articulate that so well. So thank you so much for, for joining. Hey, anytime, man. It's an honor. Mr. Briscoe, it's always great seeing you, man. You look like you can still go. Well, so keep you. it up, man. Thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to it. And my, of course, I, 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 I get, I'm going to get kicked in the butt if I don't. Wes, you know, one of your better, best friends. Yeah, you I love Hey, sure, I'm, sure, I'm, We're going to see him in NWA real soon. So, uh, sure. I, I, he said, "Shine it up real nice for him." I told him, "Come get it." <laughs> oh God, he's not. I'm not taking any more Gatorade from him. Come and get it, brother. Come and get it. <laughs>